0: All right, what is going on everybody? Welcome back to another day of Sabersim's DFS office hours. It is Wednesday, June 22nd of 2022 here. Today, if this is your first time listening or watching listening to or watching this stream, my name's Jordan. I'm the head coach here at Sabersim. Uh and Office Hours is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions from the Sabersim community about how to use Sabersim to build better DFS lineups. So if you have questions for me uh that you'd like to ask, I'd love to answer them. You can Ask your questions live in YouTube chat if we're if you're joining me here live. Uh, you can ask your questions via email, support at saversim.com. Uh, and you can ask your questions in our Slack community, the Office Hours channel in Slack. My dog just uh, quietly passed right behind me. It kind of scared me a little bit. I saw that out of the corner of my eye. I thought something, thought something was happening here. Uh, anyway, there's a link to join the Slack community in the description of every past show if you want to get joined up in there. We have a few questions in our queue here for today already uh we'll start with a question about uh end of the order batting orders i think that's an interesting one to start with i also see a couple questions um a couple other questions about correlation in nascar i think that's an interesting one um and how we handle situations where a pitcher might not be in the pool um so should be a a good start here to the stream uh if as always if you have questions here get them in the queue now i answer questions in in roughly the order that they come in so ask your question earlier we'll get to it earlier uh, and uh, let's go ahead and get into it. We'll get the app pulled up, start talking here. Um, wanted to start with this one. This is a good one from Dwayne. Uh, conversation ongoing in Slack as well. So if you are a part of that Slack community, uh, interesting takes from a few other people there. But I'll I'll touch on this a little bit. So, Dwayne said, What's your opinion on removing batters who are at the end of the batting rotation? Uh, for example, creating a rule to remove batters eight, nine, and seven, eight, nine. I've uh, been studying top winning entries lately and noticed that these batters don't show up frequently. Uh, Seem like fillers most night, but can be slate breakers if they do well. Um, And Shady Advice does make a really good point here um, that, you know, when you were looking at lineups that are finishing in the top percent, you do need to consider, this is actually a really important point. You need to consider how often those lineups are played, period, right? Like a common question here, right? Uh, Or another one I get all the time is, you know, somebody will, there'll be a night where a a, a lineup that isn't a stack takes down a big tournament Uh, and frequently you get questions, what if this is all wrong? What if stacking actually doesn't work? Look, this guy won a hundred grand last night with a with a two two one 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 stack, right? Well, there are lineups that are not stacked played in contests, right? They are entered. People are putting their money. They're entering con- They're entering contests with lineups that aren't stacked. So, those lineups have some probability of being the highest scoring lineup in the contest, and in- in- inevitably they're going to win. Now if they are winning less than the per- the percentage, if they win less often than the percentage of lineups that they take up, right. If unstacked lineups, if uncorrelated lineups are in 25% of the lineups in the pool and they win 5% of the time, right. That is indicative of the fact that that is a bad decision. And I think this is a really good point here, right. That, you know, if you're talking about hitters that at the end of the order, the seven, eight, nine hitters, and most of the field does not play these guys or does not use them in their stacks, which I actually think is probably true. I think the field undervalues these players actually. Uh, then the raw probability of seeing them in a top 1% lineup period is generally low, even if it outweighs the, the base rate of that actually happening, right? Uh, so I think that's a really good point. I think that's a, a very important thing to remember. I also, I think that the lame answer to this, or not even the lame answer, I guess, but the, uh, the simple answer to this is that these kinds of questions kind of get automatically, I guess, resolved for you because your lineups are built on individual sims and sets of individual sims. In other words, the rate at which you are seeing the giants, for example, random team, seven, eight, or nine hole hitter showing up in your lineups is roughly in line with how often that player is in the optimal lineup for sets of simulations or individual simulations, right? Uh, a lot of these kinds of things you don't need to you know, worry about because of that. But I realized that at times that can come across as kind of just like a, I don't know, almost just like a wash it away kind of answer of like, nope, Sims, let's move on. And I think you can actually even do a little bit more research on your own to realize why it's still worth playing these players. And I think the easiest way I like to do that is to just simply look at what the actual upside outcomes look like for these hitters uh, and doing so using the percentile. So I was playing around with this earlier. You can pick, you know, kind of any team you want here, but... Uh, I'll pick the Red Sox here um, and we'll sort by batting order. So we'll see top to bottom um, and we'll just look at the hitters, right? So this is, this isn't the confirmed batting order for the Red Sox tonight, but this is how we're simming it at the moment. Uh, and what you can do here is look and compare, right? So, you know, we've got a difference, Trevor Story hitting two, right? Versus Kevin Plowicki, uh or, or, or Dalbeck down here at the seven hole, right? Uh, you know, that is a 6.6 to 8.19, right? That's like a like a 25% drop off at the average projection, right? That's like a fairly significant drop off at the average of what Story versus Ploiecki, Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is expected to to score on average, right? Like that's no denying that. But when you look at the upside outcomes, right, a 95th percentile outcome, we see Story has a 23%, 90th, 95th percentile outcome, right? That means uh only only five in only five percent of his simulations does he exceed twenty three points. Uh, in other words, ni- twenty three points and under accounts for ninety five percent of his total simulations. Right, uh, Ploekis is twenty. Right, these are this is close. Right at this point, this is what? What's the difference there? Um, that is a. Uh, wait, what? That is a. I don't even know. I my calculator app isn't, isn't loading up. Anyway, you get what I'm saying, right? The difference here percentage-wise is a significant difference, right? These players are much closer together when you look at the ceiling outcomes, which are the outcomes that actually matter. And that's why you get these seven, eight, nine hole hitters in your lineups in SaberSim, because in the simulations where they, they have those outcomes, they are optimal, right? Um, In fact, I mean, going a step further, I think the main reason why that is, is because baseball is such an event-based sport right? Like for a player for story or Ploiecki to hit that outcome, you're basically, I mean, you're, you're probably kind of hoping for like a home run probably, um, or like a three hit type game, or, uh, maybe in the case of story, right? There's some, some stolen base upside there as well. So a variety of ways to get there, but it would all be, it would be big chunks of scoring happening on one or two or probably one or two different plays. Right. And they can get that upside very quickly, uh, compared to something like basketball where, you know, if you try to do the same analogy, can the starting, does the starting point guard have the same scoring equity uh, or the same upside equity as, a, as the backup point guard? No, of course not. Because there's no situation where the backup point guard can score a big boost of points to make up for the fact that they are just going to play way less minutes, right? I guess kind of carrying that analogy back over to baseball here, uh, there are absolutely a play. There are absolutely singular plays where Plowecki can make up for having a like a, a full less plate appearance than story based on the way that the game plays out. So, um, I would say, you know, I, I, it's not something I, it's not something I worry about, period, at all, because I know that the Sims kind of resolve that. Uh, But I've also, you know, looked into a little bit, I've looked into this quite a bit myself, and you can look into it too, and and do some of this research yourself and see uh, why I think, um, There's not really any reason or need to do that. I think the taking this one step further here, one other reason why I'd be even less inclined to remove those kinds of players from my pool is if you look, I want to see who's the chalk tonight here. Um, What are the chalky teams? It looks like the Cubs look kind of reasonably chalky. When you look at these really chalkier teams here, um, there's often also a significant ownership drop off here uh, as you go down the order. So not only are, are there, is there like general, you know, Kind of equivalence is their general equivalence in that you know top ceiling outcomes for most of these guys, uh, but the field really, really doesn't like to play bottom of the order guys, even when there is upside there, right? Um, you know, we're talking about what on this like Cubs team, we're talking about 10 15% chances of of like home run probabilities here. Um, and you know, for different teams, there's there can that can be even higher. Um, but I think these, these bottom-of-the-order hitters just get unfairly ignored compared to what their actual upside is. So not something I think about. Not something I worry about too much there. Um, okay, let's hit a couple other questions here. Um, we've got one from Andrew here. This will be somewhat of a quick one here. Um he said, uh, if a pitcher is not in a Sites player pool, uh, for example, Ikoff for the Pirates not in the FanDuel player pool, does SaberSim still know he is pitching and run Sims based on him as the starter? My understanding from last season is that SaberSim has a minor league uh, adjustment algorithm for players coming up in the minor leagues already. Uh, so kind of, I guess, two different questions. The first question here, uh, yes, we do. So we we have an understanding of who the individual player is that's taking up that spot, even if there isn't a player in the Sites player pool for that person. So, yeah. Um, The answer to that is, is yes. And that, and that happens sometimes, you know, if, uh, if the sites get surprised by a call up or a player that, you know, whatever, just for some reason is, isn't in the player pool, um, we will still have an internal player ID of who that person is and understand who they are, uh, and, and match them that way. So, uh, but then the second question, or I guess the second note is, yes, we do have a minor league equivalency model. Um, our, our data scientist, Will, has worked so hard on that the last, this year and last year. Um, I think it is a really cool system that is is, is pretty advanced to co- compared to what else is out there uh, in that regard. Um, just a, a really cool system that, you know, basically takes the data that we have from the minor leagues and adjusts it accordingly, uh, not in a way that's like necessarily linear, Right. Uh, a good hitter doesn't necessarily just get like a little bit worse at everything when they go to the major leagues uh, and start facing major league pitching talent, right? That, that, that relationship is kind of complicated. Uh, you know, a really classic example um, is that, you know, a guy that has shown or flashed some home run hitting upside in the minors uh, actually might increase his home, one pro- home run probability in the majors um, if he is facing pitchers that throw the ball harder, right? Um, but he might also increase his strikeout rate. So, uh, it is, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool system. Um, and Wills put a lot of work into that. So that does exist. I think, I think maybe this question here is just kind of asking if that, if that exists, uh, and it it does. So, uh, I mean, that said, you know, there's always inherent uncertainty with players in the minors, right? It's a different league. Um, I mean, up against, you know, different, different players with, with at times less reliable data. Um, There's, there's always going to be a little bit, there's also the human element, right? Um, I I feel like sometimes I ignore that, right? There's, there is a human element, a a natural randomness to a player getting called up and playing for a different team, probably in a different city. um, You know, that kind of thing that, that affects things as well. Uh, That, that makes those situations kind of a little bit harder to project naturally. Uh, But that's true for everybody, right? That's a challenge for every model. So Um, anyway, cool. Cool let's uh let's keep it going here good question from uh, Dallas um, and I actually I hadn't really thought about this until I saw this question come in today um, but he said we got all three NASCAR series this weekend. I was curious if the new correlation updates if it would be beneficial to up the slider sum uh, I usually play it safer with the dominator group um, track pending and was wondering if this is gonna help build even better lineups or if it's more in a MOB NFL type update um, no so that the the correlation, upside correlation update does impact NASCAR as well. Um, and I think it can be used in NASCAR as well. So, I mean, one thing that hasn't taken place on the NASCAR side for us yet is we haven't gone forward and, and done like rigorous slider back testing. So when you come in here, what you see is when you build lineups, it'll basically just default to zero zero 10 for everything, which is a single race sim. Every lineup is a single race sim. Um, I do think the idea of maybe turning correlation up a little bit is interesting, especially if you're playing particular contests where maybe you don't need the stone optimal to take it down. Right. Um, and I think that's true maybe for some of the, the smaller field kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm not I'm I'm not very much of a NASCAR expert, I would say. So I don't I don't have an intuitive sense of like how necessary it is to hit the optimal in in uh in NASCAR, but I do think, you know, if the, I, I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that if you need the stone optimal to win NASCAR contests, it, it probably makes more sense to use something like 0-0-10, Keep correlation off. Let the natural correlation show up in individual sims that you get from the sim precision, and like search for the the most plus EV optimal to play. Um, If you don't need necessarily the optimal, right, you can rely on on the correlation slider a little bit to get you lineups that just have higher scoring upside outright. And I think that's going to depend a lot on the contest that you're targeting. Um, But the correlations do exist here. um, And, you know, what we see for the most part uh, is that the correlations are at, at the averages, they are small and slightly negative for the most part right there's not really any positive correlations that would exist in NASCAR and i think that kind of checks out with with my intuition here um i do think the upside correlation that we recently put out would would add a ton of value here right because instead of saying you know how how correlated is christopher bell going to be to all of the other drivers in the race right and this is this is for like um this is for the race on on the twelfth, right? Um, so going back in time here a little bit, but instead of looking at the average, right? What is this correlation on average to the other drivers here? Uh, upside correlation would basically say, you know, what what is Bell's correlation in simulations where he has an extremely high upside outcome, right? And it looks like for this particular race, uh, he was projected really well, starting thirty first, so kind of like a place differential guy, right? So like who who is likely essentially to who is more likely to fail? to reach their ceiling outcome when Christopher bell has that kind of ceiling. Um, And I think it does get particularly interesting at, at the dominator kind of uh, position, right? Like when Larson actually pays off his, his salary uh, and has that, that extremely high outcome uh, upside outcome, who, who stands to fail and it's, and it's likely to be some of these other guys that start at the top of the race too. Um, So I think it's interesting. I would, I, I will say, you know, for the purposes of answering this question here yes it 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 definitely will work and i think it's it's interesting to experiment with um i would if you are already if you are making like dominator type groups what i would do instead is i would experiment with turning the correlation slider up a little bit instead uh and seeing um you know what you think like see if that makes the kinds of lineups that you want and would probably save you some time from having to build the groups out yourself. I think it's really interesting. So good question there. Um, All right, cool. Let's hop over to YouTube chat real quick. Get caught up here. Uh, Rogue said, hey, Jordan, can you go over how you read the MLB Vegas dashboard and how often you use the live adjustments to alter the Saberson run totals? Yeah, so... The like to be totally honest, this is something I used to do a little bit more. Like I, I think I, I think I used to have. I don't want to say less confidence. I used to think there was, I guess maybe less confidence. I had less confidence in the saber sim simulations themselves. Maybe even a year ago, two years ago, right? Where if I saw something in the Vegas projections that looked off to me. I would kind of lean on the side that, you know, we might be missing something um, and make an adjustment there. We've put so much work in the, ML- in the MLB Sims in the last couple of years that like, just to be completely honest, I I, I don't even really do it very often anymore. Um, but what I used to specifically look for, and I think part of the reason I don't do it anymore is not just because um, I decided not to. It's because as I was doing this, I found less and less reasons to actually do it. But what I specifically used to look for um, is I would look for situations where we were at least a half run off from Vegas and the line was moving in the opposite direction. So I will see if I can, on a quick glance, find one here. Um, okay, actually, I can't. Um, and sometimes these, sometimes these get resolved before lock. Other times, I just decide to to roll with what SaberSim has and hope that it, it creates a little bit of an edge for me. But the Tigers are an example of this, I think, tonight. Right? We have them at four five at the moment. They opened at four two, but they have since gone to three eight. So basically, the line is is more than a half run off from SaberSim and moving the wrong direction. Right? That to me has always kind of been a red flag. That combination. Uh, what I used to do in the past is I would either, you know, depending on the situation, I might come all the way to Vegas, uh but probably more likely I would meet halfway. Um or maybe start with where the 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 line was for um where the opening line was at Vegas, right? As a way to kind of split the difference there. Um and that was that was kind of the indicator for me. But you know, also like it's not it's uh it's not necessarily, you know, I, I think sometimes there's this idea that like your projections need to mo- be the most accurate as possible to be successful, right? Um, and I think that's a little bit misguided. Like we want to build ultimately the most um profitable lineups possible. I'm not like I don't care about Detroit scoring like four-two or three-five or or three runs or four runs or five runs, right? Like if we have a half run increase for Detroit at the average. And I end up playing, you know, 10% additional more Detroit and the Saberson model has a reason to believe that. And they're underowned relative to the rest of the field. Like that probably puts me down a path of maximizing my profit when the Tigers have a big game anyway, right? Like I'm not concerned about being of, about hyper accuracy. I think that's part of, I think part of why I do this less is I've also had a little bit of a mindset shift around it. Um, uh, but that, that is what I used to look for. Um, and it just happens less often now than it used to. I was doing a quick scan to see if I see any others here, um, quickly, uh, off the top of my head here. Uh, or not so much off the top of my head, I guess, but on a quick glance. Um, but looks pretty good for the most part, otherwise. So, and it would be interesting to see, you know, this might be something that just kind of resolved itself before the end of the day or before lock anyway. Um, but. So that's what I used to look for. Basically a line where we were uh, a half run or more off and the, and also moving in the wrong direction. So. Uh, Jimmy said "Mob stacking. If you specifically wanted to play five, three, is it easier to make two rules for this at least five and at least three and then generate or filter for it at all? Any differences? I think by far easiest thing to do there is just, yeah, exactly. As you said, two rules. At least five, at least three, and boom, run it. And then what you'll what will be nice about that is your entire pool of five hundred or fifteen hundred will already have the lineup construction you're shooting for. Uh, so you've got a very functional and flexible pool to do all the other things you want to do in the post build process from there. So, yeah, general rule of thumb, you know, if you know exactly what you are looking for before the build, whether that's with your constructions or exposures or anything like that, um, let us know. And, and you'll get a better pool for your lineups after. Brad says, Jordan, haven't been able to tune in lately uh, with work, but I'm sure this has been asked. Um, oh, let's see. I've been trying out these penny 150 max contests along with everybody else, but when I'm building those, I'm typically doing another 20 max. Uh, would you build 170 lines with the 150 max contests, or would you build them separately with the potential of some dupes? Uh, So it kind of depends. Like that so that Penny those penny contests that are on DraftKings, like they are they're those are fun. Uh I think it's I think it's a cool way for a like a dollar to get 150 lineups in play, right? Like even FanDuel has never really created a contest like that. To me, those are more like practice grounds for practicing 150. Um I wouldn't be comfortable for me personally building like playing any 20 max. Assume like I wouldn't even be comfortable. The difference of the quarter jukebox, which is a which is the quarter 20 max and that contest is like 100x. Or is it 100x? No, it's it's like 10x difference prize to first, right? Like the the micro one cent contest is $20 to first. The quarter jukebox is probably at least 200, right? To me, that's that's too much randomness for me to be comfortable with like whatever happens, happens between those two lineups in terms of where or between those two contests, wherever the wherever the lineup ends up, wherever my highest scoring lineup ends up. So for me, like what I would probably do there is I would probably I would probably build the 150 and take the opportunity to practice 150 and learn how to manage a, a 150 lineup set and then maybe just put what my top 20 overall lineups are also in the the quarter. Uh, or the, the $1 or something like that. Um, just cause like that, the penny, again, the penny contest, like it's, it's great. And I'm glad that I'm glad they have that. I think that's, a I think that's a good, I don't know how long it's going to hold up, but I think it's a good thing to exist for people to just practice one fifty but I don't think that's like a reliable bankroll builder type contest just cause the stakes are like way too small at that point. So I would use it, I would use it for practice and put your, put your top 20 in uh in your in the quarter or or the whatever 20 max you're talking about. So um in terms of sliders, uh the like most 20 maxes and the 150 maxes are gonna probably have pretty similar sliders, right? There's not like a huge difference here. So I would I think either would be fine. But probably not like a huge difference between 846 and 847. So Um, Patrick says, uh, do MLB games matter when the home team opens the roof or close the roof? Yes, Uh, it changes essentially the weather of the game, uh, which is a pretty big factor and can be a different factor depending on the park and and how different the the temperature is and the wind with the roof open or closed. Uh, That is something that's factored into our sims. Uh, And in the sim alerts channels in Slack, you'll actually see sometimes we'll run a sim that runs because of the roof status has changed so um yes it does matter and it is factored into the simulations um and that is yes that is why underdog tweets that out too because that that's that is important to people um cool yeah brad says the winnings aren't really there so that's my thought to just use them as trying out 150 lines yeah that so that's that's what I would do. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. And, and if you're thinking about it that way, I wouldn't, I would, I mean, I guess one thing you could do is like, you could unique rank fill, like you could say you could build 170 and put your top 20 in the quarter jukebox and then say like the other 150 are an opportunity to, uh, practice 150. And on the chance that you take that contest down, uh, you take your your 20, $25 and it, it four X's you or whatever on the night or something like that. Uh, and that, that feels great. Um, so you could do that too. I just, I, I would be, I, I don't, I don't like the idea of like taking a, a 10 X swing like that, uh, purely by the randomness of the unique random fill. Um, so. Uh, Jimmy said PGA because I hated I wonder if this could be effective create a group of the top 10 golfers to win the event according to Vegas and use at least two to three in each lineup and let Saberson fill the rest kind of this reminds me of the question uh, that we we are, we started out with here where. That so, I that to me would be something that would be useful to do if all you had at your disposal was average projections, right? And you were thinking, you know, how can I use this tool, this optimizer that optimizes purely for average projection and make it do things that resemble upside? Uh, but because when you're building these lineups, you know, on Saber Sim, we're, we're using we're basically using tourna- tournament sims already, so each lineup already does that right? Each lineup is, is represented is literally the optimal, uh, or an ownership adjusted optimal in the case of like these settings, uh, for the way that the tournament could actually play out. So I, I, I don't, I think this basically to me would kind of end up sounding like, this probably sounds like busy work to me. I don't know if this actually ends up leading you to having better lineups. Um, I would, I think the only advantage I think you could get out of this is you possibly get a second opinion, and that's Vegas, right? Saber Sim simulations don't, I don't, the golf sims don't use Vegas as a primary input here, so you would get essentially a second opinion. Um, I would say you could probably still get the value out of that without having to spend the time making these groups by just doing, I would say, kind of a general look through of the projections or maybe the win percentages and see how that compares to Vegas odds and maybe making some adjustments to projections. If you found an outlier where we were really far off from Vegas or something like that, I don't think you're likely to find many of those, but um, I think that would be maybe another way of kind of getting a, a second opinion on the projections. Um, but in terms of, I think like the actual grouping this out at best case, you'd be, you'd be trying to get lineups that are constructed in a way that, um, that emphasize more upside, um, and that that should already happen, kind of by design. So, um, not to shoot it down here, um, but I I think, yeah. So, anyway, let's keep it going. Um, cool. Let's see. Um lot of conversation about these contests. HD said I like these contests great for practice for MMEs uh since coming strictly single entry. Yeah, and I think they can be I think they can be great for that. And I know uh Tone in in Slack uh last night post like so what he was he was clearly like watching the lobby and entered like 10 of them and ended up actually having like a pretty good night cuz he won like every single one of them. Um so you can definitely do that. Glenn said that's new. Did they just bring it back? Yeah, it's it's a promotional thing. It's part of the Micro Week, the Micro Millions Week. Um, that they're doing, but they're filling so many of these that I wouldn't be surprised if they hold on to it. like they're 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 filling dozens of these a day. so um, Brad says they made a new contest after I reserved. so I did it for shits and giggles and now I've got three hundred twenty for this evening. yeah, i I think you can get like a thousand if you follow it all day. so um, there's clearly some excitement about these. Um, all right. Rogue said I asked this in the Slack MOB channel, do you recommend setting salary to zero in your test builds? I never did and noticed yesterday on stream and found pretty different results versus 39,000. Uh, I do. Yeah. I've actually been experimenting with salary off in general. Um, I just, especially for baseball, it just seems like it seems like salaries have been pretty inefficient this year. And I I don't think they are I don't think they're that good, right? Uh salaries themselves. Are a projection model, right? When when um when DraftKings prices the pitchers in this way, right, they are saying, and I realize you guys can't see that super well, right? They're like, they're basically, you know, this is their projection model. They're saying this is the this is the best pitcher, this is the second best one, this is the third best one, and you know, uh the difference between Rodon. And Lauer is a equivalent to the difference between Morton and Scoobal, at least in like absolute values, right? That, that is, that is what this, there's no real difference between what they're trying to do by pricing a player than what anybody else is trying to do by projecting a player, right? Well, using a minimum salary is basically saying like, it's basically hedging against DraftKings projection model. You're basically saying, you know, don't just use the SaberSim model. Build, say, build lineups using the Saberson model that are within a certain error band using the DraftKings model. That's only good if the DraftKings model is good. And this year in particular, I feel like it's not. Um, I also, you know, I did a little bit of research uh, using the, the Roto grinders results DB thing. Um, and if you look, you know, I think if you look up what a lot of sharp players are doing, um, you know, Whistles, Giant Squid, right? Um, all kinds of different names, in those contests, you will see some surprisingly low salary builds showing up in their lineups. Um, And that was kind of the final straw for me where I was like, I think uh, this is, I I don't know how good this is, right? I don't know how good min salary actually is in baseball, uh, in a sport where, you know, fantasy points don't actually correlate well well, to salary anyway. Um, The one thing to be just a little bit aware of, to be careful of, if you turn that down, uh, is that Minimum salary sometimes acts a little bit as a guardrail against the ownership fade slider, right? Because as you go down in salary, right? Salary correlates somewhat well with ownership. So as you go down in salary, you end up with typically lower owned place, right? That's true, you know, that's true for hitters. That's true for for pitchers, right? That's like a general trend. Uh, When you turn the min salary off, if you are, are you are, if you are building lineups with a very high ownership fade, right, six, five, six, four, six, four, five, six, seven, eight, like something very high, you kind of provide an easy out for the builder to just basically say, oh, you want to fade ownership, you want a lineup that has low ownership, how about a salary that uses thirty-eight, or how about a lineup that uses thirty-eight thousand salary, right? It's like too easy, so. That is the only warning I would give you here. On the theory level, I think low salary builds are absolutely viable and I have been turning I've been I've been turning it down to zero often because I want to get access to those builds, but be careful with high ownership fade levels because you can get you can provide the builder too easy of a way out, I think, by going like all the way to zero or something like that. So, kind of goes goes both ways. There um, for research builds and test builds, you all, I would, I would say you, at least for research builds in particular, you always want to turn this to zero, right? Because you don't want to salary doesn't matter at that point. All you want to do is see what the optimals are for different ways that the slate can play out. And if an optimal is a 38,000 salary lineup in one case, who cares, right? Like all you're trying to do is figure out, you want an accurate idea of how often certain players show up in that winning lineup. So Uh, Brad says I've been playing a lot of single entry MMA, but that sounds similar, similar to what I've been doing, making a group of guys above a certain win percent and trying to select from at least five of them. Bad idea. have been decent results. Yeah. So again, I don't want to, I don't want to say this is a bad idea, right? Like, I don't think this is like negative EV. It just, it sounds like this is something again that you would do to get constructions, that are built for upside, right? Like MMA is a a very similar problem. It's another sport where average projections themselves aren't that useful. They don't really say anything about the upside of a fighter. So when you build, if you were building on like a traditional tool, you would probably want to group some fighters together and kind of, you know, make the builder build a construction that lended itself well towards upside. Because the, the tool, the traditional optimizer, the tool that you would be using to do that, otherwise wouldn't know how. When you build lineups on for MMA with Sabersim, Sim, again, because we're using the Sims that is already happening for you. Um, what I suspect is happening here, you know, like even like kind of thinking about, you know, decent, like decent results. I, I, again, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think, you know, probably what, what is, what is happening here? If you are, if you're seeing improvements, um, even if you could test this out, like over the term, uh, like, like, you're probably playing probably playing in a way that is building you a maybe safer lineups on average, right? Lineups that are maybe a little bit more likely to, especially for single entry, right? In, in a single entry contest, if you're playing one single lineup, duplication is less of a problem because if your lineup is duped, unless it is excessively duped, right? You are still likely to be profitable on the night, right? Let's say you bank a single entry contest and your lineup was duped 10 times, probably still way up. That probably still feels great, right? In a 150 max large field kind of contest, you know, there are, there are a lot of situations where you can finish first, be duplicated too many times and you actually lose money on the slate or barely break even or barely profit. So what I think, I think, what I think about like, you know, let's say you made a group of everybody that had at least a 50% chance to win according to the Sims and said, give me five of those guys and one underdog, you're going to end up with a lineup that probably has a higher raw probability of going six of six, but is probably also more likely to be duped. And maybe that is a decent strategy for single entry. I think uh, that's probably still captured in the fact that the, the sliders themselves change, right? Like that is essentially what is captured when sim precision comes from 10 to seven, right? We're saying we don't need to get as variant as a single fright. A single card sim for every lineup, we can use 11 card sims for every lineup, right? That's like still essentially what happens here with the sliders. You're just setting a group, I would say, to kind of add on to that. Uh, but again, probably not a bad idea or, or, or not like, probably not a negative EV idea, especially in that type of contest. Um, I just don't know how much value, frankly, that it actually adds. Um, because all I can think of that really doing is forcing a construction that is built for upside, which is what is already happening for you in the sims. So, um, all right. HC said, I admit I used to, (laughs) I used to frown at some of my, uh, salary left at some lineups, but then you see lineups winning with 2k left. Uh, and then I'm like, let it roll elbow cough. Yeah. I mean, here, you know what, let's like, I'll just show you guys. Like, um, this is this is literally how I did some of this research here. This is kind of what got me thinking about this. Um, is so, let me pull this back up. So this is the results DB thing on rotor grinders, pretty useful. Um, and we'll go to so yesterday's. Uh, let's do the relay throw. Um, and let's do. See what giant squid played. Okay. And then we'll check his lineups, right? Um, And one thing you can do is literally just see. So obviously probably played like 49. So I'm basically here. Let me close this. So I'm doing control F 49 comma, right? So yes, obviously lineups at 49, 48. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I don't know. I mean, and maybe I'm still doing some, some research here, right? I guess. Let's see. Oh, no. Okay. this So my search just wasn't working, right? 45-3, right? Played a, what is this? A 4-1-1-1 four, four, one, 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 one lineup, essentially, right? Uh, we can even just scroll here. 45-3, right? Another Mariner stack. 47-3, right? This is just what, what Squid did. And this is a large field contest that's top-heavy that you need to, like, get kind of different in to be successful, but... You see kind of a trend here, right? So like, I mean, basically to stack the Mariners, you kind of had to play a little bit of a lower salary yield, or at least like that's what we're seeing here, right? And I did this research and looked at like a ton of players that I think are pretty sharp um, as a way of like, you know, checking this. And I feel like there's a pretty pretty compelling case uh, for why, I don't know, for why maybe this is actually a decent idea or, or um, maybe not a bad idea to at least explore, so- But. Cool. All right. Um, Let's see. Uh, Okay, let's jump back over to Slack here and hit a couple other questions that are over in Slack. Um, guy Will Gamble said, What do you guys think about doing five man, four-man stacks versus five-man stacks on DraftKings and MLB? Are four X's viable or should I be airing more towards fives? Uh, I think four X's are absolutely viable. Uh, I typically I I basically generally do like at least a four stack in every lineup. Um I think as the field I think that as the field starts to stack more and more and more, and you have all of these people out there that are basically like using a traditional tool and basically saying, give me a five stack in every lineup and going on their way. Like, I think, I think I am willing over the next season or two in baseball to have my mind changed and start being willing more to play like those three, threes and three, three twos and uh thick three, two, twos and things like that. I don't think I'm there yet, but I definitely like the idea of playing four stacks. Um, I think four stacks are, are absolutely a, a good, a good lineup construction. So, I have no problem there uh Eagle says, um can you talk about why you're getting stacks with your starting pitcher? um there is a little bit of um you know a light correlation here uh with a pitcher and a team, especially um I would say in a away team here. Yeah, there can be a little bit of a light correlation where, you know, if the, um, the the team can get an opportunity to hit in the knife, get an extra half inning, depending on the way that like the, the game plays out there. Um, so you create a little bit of a light correlation there. But I would say that correlation is generally so small that it, it, it can have a little bit of a minor factor. Um, it won't be an overwhelming factor most of the time. I would say if you're seeing a lot of those combinations it's generally going to be because those that pitcher and that stack in general, just in a vacuum are both good plays, right? Like tonight, you know, I would not be surprised to see a lot of Otani and Angels stacks where Otani is the best projected pitcher on the slate and the angels are also a, a good play, right? Like that's, that's going to happen. Um, but it, it shouldn't generally be, you know, that, that correlation exists. It's, it's somewhat minor. I don't think it's an overwhelming um, factor with that said, we did have some issues with this being more of a factor than it should have been um, earlier in the season. And those have, those have since been resolved. So like, I know even, even in the past couple weeks, there's been some slates where we've had very high correlations with a pitcher uh, and a um, hitter. You may still see those at times, Um, that they have been resolved in the builder, I guess. So I would say overall, your, your, your correlations between your pitchers and your hitters should be kind of a little bit more evened out here now, uh, than they, they might have been at the start of the season. So, um, cool. All right. HC says there are some weird builds taking contests down. Yeah. And the, the larger the contest, the more weird they're going to get because there's weird lineups in there too. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're always, they're always profitable, but guy will gamble said, cool. That's uh, where I'm at with it too. On the stack and just more than a sanity check. Yeah, I get it. Uh, and I think this can be a pretty good tool too. Um, you know, I, I go and check and see what squids up to pretty often, especially when I have a little question like that. Um, and I do think, you know, I did I did a little bit of research on those like 3-3-2 stacks recently. Um and I, I think I you're starting to see some I think sharper players be a little bit more comfortable with some unconventional stacks. Um, but I'm not bought in to doing that yet. But here's one, right? Yeah, this is a three. This is a three. Three. This is a 3-3. Is, is there a player that's not showing up? There is. So these aren't complete. I was like, what is going on here? They're not showing the bottom outfielder. So I think, I think the results DB has a bug here. At least for some lineups. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. But presumably this is probably something like a 3-3. Um, so it's interesting for sure, but... Patrick says any updates for Wimbledon? I don't have anything to report at the moment. I know that's in progress for us. I know building out the tennis sims are our priority. I know it's coming up on us quick. I don't I don't have an update beyond that at the moment. So. Brad says use Google Chrome. Is this a Firefox thing? I'm always I've always been more partial to Firefox than Chrome, but as a, if it's a Firefox thing, maybe I need to use a different browser. So. Aaron says, "How do you feel about the six-man stack on Yahoo?" I'm in. I I have no. I definitely have no problem being more correlated, right? I would. I definitely. Um, I'm definitely down with being more more correlated. If I could, if I could six-man stack on DraftKings, I would, especially on on bigger slates. Um, so. Um. Yeah, I definitely I'm in on the six-man stack. I mean, I w- I don't know if I'd force it every single time, but I if I'm getting to six-man stacks, I would play them. um cool what about sims for college football uh again a um uh on our roadmap after te- after tennis after after tennis sound like a robot here so cool all right what other questions do we have here today how's the early going What's the situation what game is on oh two of them are on what's happening HC always sucks me up hC always lets me know what what the situation is in the early I um let's see let's look at this real quick I uh I ate the hitting chalk and faded wheeler for the most part in a nutshell that's kind of how I how I approach the slate. I did a couple things that I guess weren't super chalky. Like I, I have, um, I have quite a bit of Mets and Diamondbacks too, but I have like a ton of Toronto. Um, and most of my big stand on the slate was to fade Wheeler, but Patrick's says super draft becoming less popular. Maybe, I don't know. Are there contests getting smaller? It's a very hard thing to break into. It's, it's very difficult to get a, uh, to get a, um, a DFS site up. Four oh Astros, one js Sweet. Jen came through as well. I don't know how many Astros I have. I'll have to go back and check. Uh I did take um I think I have Carrasco um strikeout unders. So see what happens there. Uh, okay, here we go. Let's see. Uh, Brad says, I noticed today on the smaller slate that my exposures were more spread out on my pitchers, but on the bigger slates, it's been stacked pretty heavy uh, with one or two pitchers and not spread out any reason. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, a variety of different reasons that that could be. I think probably the first thing that comes to mind is that the fact that your sim precision slider is going to be so much higher by default than it would be on a bigger slate, right? Four game slate, we need a we need to, our lineups need to be more precisely correct i guess to take something down because there's less players in the pool the lineups in your contests are just more likely to approach the actual highest scoring optimal right compare that to uh nine game main slate um and uh this comes down a little bit right especially, you know, as this, like, similar size contest. As sim precision comes down, you're, you know, using a wider bin of sims for each lineup, you're going to be more heavily exposed to the highest-owned place. Or to, not the highest-owned place necessarily, to the best place, to the highest projected place. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, there's also slate context here, too, right? Like, um, you know, on a, on a smaller slate, there may not be that elite pitcher or that set of elite pitchers. And it may just be to your benefit to spread out a little bit more. Sometimes you'll also see a situation where if there is, if there is a really good hitting spot that the builder or Saber sim really wants to attack, sometimes it will, you'll get constructions where, or you'll get builds where you're really heavily exposed to one stack or one hitting team, and then actually really spread out a pitcher. But I think my, my gut impression for why you're seeing that in general is because the sim precision slider is higher for smaller slates. So. Oh, it looks like I'm winning. That's cool. Oh, wow. It looks like we're all winning. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, Jimmy said, I used a suggestion for MLB the other night with a group of pitchers. Two chalk, one lower own, but a good projection. Worked very well and gave me some nice lineups. Good. That's great. Love, love to hear that. Uh, Patrick says, uh, do you think PGA DFS will become less popular when you have several high profile players defect to live? Um, I think the more likely outcome is DraftKings is probably figuring out how quickly they can get live golf uh, DFS set up. (laughs) Um, I mean, golf DFS just in general is becoming pretty popular. People love it. I think one of the things that's really unique about it is it is like, it is the, probably the best way to play fantasy golf right? Like D F NFL DFS is still very exciting, Uh, but it's probably not the It's, it's by far not the preferred way to play fantasy football. Like the seasonal fantasy football leagues are still far more popular. If you think about everybody that's, that's playing those, but for golf for, for fantasy golf, I really think like DFS has become the preferred way of playing that, you know, there's one and done leagues and pools and things like that. Um, There's other like seasonal fantasy games, but it's, uh, it's a, it's um, I think DFS has kind of become the preferred format for, for golf, for fantasy golf. And I think that makes it, I think that kind of creates a floor of like, I don't see how it goes anywhere. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But you know what, you know what the PGA really needs though? The PGA needs a marketing team or like a better marketing team that, that is a sport that like these high profile players, how, how high profile are they really? You know, when you think about it, that, that's, that's my question, right? Like does the, do the young golf stars in the golf world really get marketed to like a broad audience like they do in other sports? It doesn't really seem like it at all. There's no, there's no broad, like there's no, it doesn't really seem like there's any broad marketing effort to like show the sports world and like put Justin Thomas highlights out there for like just fans of sports in general. Right. I mean, half of the highlights and, and half of the coverage that you were getting for even these, these most recent events was like Tiger Woods. And, and I love Tiger as much as the, the, the next guy. But like that doesn't I guess what I'm trying it doesn't really seem like there's like a big marketing push to like actually try to market these young guys. So um, I don't know. Anyway, I'm rambling now. That's not the point of this stream. But um, let's see. Everybody's saying the penny contests are already filled for the main slates. I think they're just keep opening more. So I would just keep an eye out, but they should just open more. HD said I don't even watch golf, but I love playing it for for DFS. I yeah, I uh, I watch the the data golf live predictive model on their site more than I watch actual golf coverage. But part of that is because of how bad the PGA Tour golf coverage is at times. So, um, cool. All right. What else? Any other questions for me here? Um, what else is going on here today? Before I, I just keep rambling about random stuff here on stream today. But anybody out there uh desperately wishing I would uh answer their question about like how to do something on Sabersim while I'm sitting here rambling about live golf and all kinds of other stuff here? <laughs> Brad says he just got in his third mini. That's great. Yeah, again, I, I, Tone tone 930 in Slack like posted a screenshot. He was in like 10 of them. So that's great. That's cool. You can do that with the dime times too. If you just hawk the, the lobby and just enter dime times all day, you can get in a ton of them. Your guys' entry files are, <laughs> are going to be huge, man. You'll be like 1,500 different unique entries for... $20. <laughs> Guy Will Gamble says, what's the max unique entries you'd enter in these pennies? I, uh, I, I typically, I've been staying around 150 unique lineups, period, still. I, I know I had Eric on and he came on and he said, play a unique lineup in every contest. It smooths out your variance. And that, that is, that is our recommendation. I am still struggling and playing more than 150 unique lineups on a slate for me. I, I, I am I have what I have done is I've scaled back my bankroll. I'm investing a little bit. I think I was investing too much, but I just start to feel like it's a lot of lineups once I get above 150 and so I I would only I would play the same 150 in every single one of them is what I would do. But um I also do think the idea of having 750 unique lineups is kind of hilarious. So um I don't hate that. I will say this. Here's here's actually, here's something more useful. Here's something more useful there. I do think if you are going to play a ton of unique entries, I think it it is in your best interest to do a little bit more work up front of the build. Because if you were playing 500 unique entries, right? The max pool size you can build is 1500 lineups. So every, every lineup you ultimately enter into a contest essentially was one of three that could have been selected there. Compared to if you have 150 unique lineups, every lineup that you're playing is one of 10. Because you have, because you are comparing against less lineups, I think like it, I think it's in your favor to make that pool of lineups as good as possible. Right. So if you know what types of lineup constructions you want, set some stacking rules. If you know what kinds of exposures and player and players you want to see in your lineups, adjust the projections and exposures, right? The more unique lineups you're playing, I think the more it is in your favor to make that pool as good as possible. So. Rogue uh, says another slate analysis stream. Yeah, uh, maybe, I think those are those are always good, definitely on the days where there aren't as many questions. I know every once in a while we'll get a day where maybe I don't even have a question to start the stream with. Um, I, I definitely want to do another one of those soon. It is still kind of on our radar here to uh, maybe hopefully create a new show out of doing those. That's still something we're talking about with Behind the Sims uh, coming out this past week with a couple other things that we've like been working on on the app side. it's It's been hard to to commit time to that, but um, short answer, yes. I'd, I'd definitely be down to do that again. Uh Jimmy says, is there a way to show a team's overall leverage on a slate or more at looking at the team stacks and seeing how many populate out of your pool and looking for a lower owned one? Uh, I mean, I think the easiest, so team stack leverage gets kind of hard. It gets a little tricky because you don't have like team ownership projections to compare it against. Um. I think there's a couple things. I mean, I think like what I typically do is like I just, I typically run the research build with no stacking rules, just like the typical research build and look at the individual batter exposure versus ownership and extrapolate to the stacks, right? If if all of the angels batters are negative leverage plays on a research build, then an angel stack is probably a negative leverage play on the research build. Uh, another thing you could do though instead is to run the same research build like we have going on here but set a five stack rule and then just look at your exposures of stacks as you go down the list and kind of you know, combine that with your, your intuition of where stack ownership is gonna end up, right? So I, pros and cons with both options. Uh, long-term, or maybe not even so long-term, we do wanna provide stack ownership in the future. And I think that would make it easier to do a research build and compare leverage directly for stacks. Um, but at the moment you do have to use a little bit, I think of kind of your own intuition somewhere along the line. So Brad's running a thousand lineups in the pennies. That's kind of awesome. I love that. Uh, but anyway, like what I was saying here, right? So, you know, if you're looking at, at leverage, right? Like what are the, what are the most negative leverage stacks on the slate? You can kind of just look like, for what teams are popping up, right? Like Chicago over and over again, LA, you see at least once. So maybe not so much, but uh, Atlanta pops up a couple of times, St. Louis, Boston, right? What are the best positive leverage plays? San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Oakland. I think that's, that's how I typically do it. Um, But we could also do this. And I think this is, you know, especially if that, if that seems difficult or like not even difficult, if that seems I don't know, like not the way you want to do it. I think you can also do it this way where you set the five stack rule, build another 1500 and like compare stack exposure to Vegas totals would be one way to do it, right? Like basically I might expect that the most exposed stack here in this research build is like Orioles, Angels, Braves, Twins. Actually, everybody's pretty condensed at the top here tonight. So um You can kind of compare that way, but David Peralta scratched. When does that game start? Starts in what, an hour? All right, we have time. We're all good, but good heads up. Let's see, I wanna see what this research, oh, this is, wait, what happened? This isn't what I was, what is this building? Wait a minute, this is my build. Um. So let's look at the stacks here and see. Okay. So this would be like another way of doing it here where you set kind of a five-stack rule. And now I would say, you know, we can look for basically for outliers. So Orioles, Angels, Braves, right? So wait, Orioles, Angels, Braves, Twins, and Cubs, right? So Cubs, Orioles, Angels, all kind of these top stacks. I think Pittsburgh is one that jumps off a little bit as like a team that maybe... Vegas is undervaluing based on that Um, go in the opposite direction. Braves might be a potential fade here. You guys can't see that where they're not showing up very likely to be in an optimal lineup, but Vegas is valuing them pretty heavily. So, I like to, I've always liked to do it a little bit on the individual hitter level. Like, I I think that just makes more sense to me ultimately. Um, So it's a little bit hard, like, I don't know. It's a little bit hard for me to get in the mindset of thinking about it from the stacks level. I, I just like looking at, at the individual batters. So, but all right, I think we'll leave it there for today. Thanks everybody that tuned in participated, asked questions. That was a fun stream today. We kind of had a rocking, rocking chat going on here today too. So that was awesome. Uh, of course, a big thank you to everybody that watches and listens to the show after it goes up on YouTube uh, and all of the podcast outlets as well. Appreciate you guys. Uh, good luck in the rest of the early slate. Hopefully we see uh, the Sabresim crew continue to just dominate the Minimax uh, like we are seeing right now, or we were five minutes ago. Things can change quick in MLBDFS. I will be right back here again tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so... Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. See you guys tomorrow. Take care and cheers. See ya.